All right. Good evening. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we are here once again uh, in Chris's office, and we're going to talk uh, uh, one more time. Um, not our last time, but uh, at least one more time today. Um, listen to John Clayton talk to us about his uh, experience coming from atheism and uh, studying himself into Christianity. I know that um, many of us have heard uh, that that can happen and does happen. Um, but, but John Clayton is uh, one of those cases that is in the extreme. He was not only a non-believer, he was an anti-believer. He was against everything the Bible and, and Christians stood for. Uh, and he uh, told us a little bit about himself last time and in what a um, depraved state he was. And today he's going to continue with that. And he's going to uh, talk about here at the beginning the difference between uh, happiness and pleasure and uh, how he found that what he thought was giving him pleasure or he realized that it wasn't pleasure. Um, and he realized there was something else. And when he found uh, Christianity through his efforts to uh, disprove Christianity and the Bible, um, that is where uh, true happiness lies uh, and has lain for him uh, in the ensuing 40 to 50 years uh, that he's been doing these. So not only did he come from an extreme position um, uh, against God and his word, but now he has gone to the other extreme and devoted his life. Um, and like I say, the last 40 to 50 years to uh, try and convince others that uh, the Bible is what it says it is and that we should uh, know why we believe what we believe and uh, that that he is convinced that uh, that his life's work um, has not been in vain because he's been sharing his story and what he knows about uh, the Bible. We'll come back and talk a little bit after the video, uh, but right now, uh, that's all we'll do to set it up. In the first presentation of Why I Left Atheism, we've taken a look at some of the things that led me to come from the religion I inherited, which was atheism, to believe in God. And what led me to actually look at Christianity as an option. To be able to come to an understanding of the fact that the Bible was what I needed to follow. And my search to find the church. But you know, if I would identify the one single most important thing, the one real killer that blasted me out of atheism and into Christianity, in all honesty, it was my attempts to find happiness. You know, when you start looking at the questions of how we find happiness and what it takes to really be happy in life. 
you're dealing with a very volatile emotional issue. And it's important for me to try and convey to you that when I, when I read the Bible description of what really happens when you totally and completely embrace atheism, I think you find something that I personally experienced. Listen to the 53rd Psalm. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they. They have done abominable iniquity. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand. But behold, every one of them has gone back and become altogether filthy. You couldn't give a better description of me than that a few years ago. Altogether filthy. See, I was going to find happiness. I was going to find it my way. And if I had to use somebody to find happiness, I used them. If I had to take advantage of somebody to find happiness, I took advantage of them. If I had to break the law of happiness, I broke the law. I did everything and anything I wanted to do. And I manipulated people. The girl that I was dating off and on through this period of time never had any idea about what I was really like. I controlled, I used the situation. And I suggest to you that that is logical. It is consistent with my belief system. If this life was all I had, if in fact it is survival of the fittest, then take what's yours. Look after number one. And may the best man win. And that's the way I lived. But you know what I found? I found that I was finding pleasure. But I was not in happiness. I didn't get up in the morning every day looking forward to a new day. I didn't go to bed at night feeling good about my life. And the things that I had done to people and the things that I had done with people began to come back and to haunt me. And I began to get bitter and frustrated and angry. And a cloud of anger and frustration covered my life. And I became so bitter and so frustrated and so angry that on the night of my 20th birthday, I sat on the edge of my bed with a 22 caliber rifle between my legs, a fork stick propped up against a trigger, and leaned into it in a desperate attempt to end my life. I hit the bottom that hard. Now, don't you talk to me about being so far from God that He can't reach you. You can't get that far. I've been there. I hit the bottom that hard. And young people, those of you that are struggling with your belief system, let me encourage you. Don't try to do things your own way. Because young people, when you've done everything there is to do, <laughs> and hey, I'm not blind, I know what's going on out there. When you involve yourself in everything there is to involve yourself in, I want to promise you something, you're going to walk the same road that I walked. Oh, you may not walk it as fast, but you're going to walk it. And you're going to have that same frustration come into your life. And you're going to become that same bitter, antagonistic person. And some of you may already be feeling that some of that. And let me tell you something, if you survive it, 
emotionally and physically. I guarantee you, you don't survive it spiritually. And I seriously doubt you survive it emotionally because I did not. I've survived physically, but I still have scars that don't heal. The memory of things that I've done to people, I cannot. I still can't go back to where I grew up as a kid without meeting people who will look at me and say, yeah, I remember you. I know what kind of a person you are, even a few Christians. They can't believe I've tried to change my life. You never really get over it. Please, don't try to work things out your own way. You see, what's happened to me now is that life is so much different. My attitudes are so much different. I have such a greater happiness when problems and difficulties hit me. I'm so much better able to deal with it. My attempts to find happiness were what really pushed me. And the straw that broke this camel's back happened during my junior year in college. I enrolled in my first geology class. The professor in the class was probably the best known atheist on campus. And the first day of class, in response to a question, he pulled a Bible out from under a speaker stand, held it up in front of a class of four or five hundred students, and said, I'm going to show you all of you that the Bible's a bunch of garbage. And he spat on the Bible, and he threw it in a wastebasket in the corner of the room. Boy, I was impressed. Well, I was getting to the point where I had some real questions about my faith. You know, I was almost to the point of believing in God. And now this well-known atheist with all the credentials after his name was going to prove to me that I've been right all along. So I took two notebooks to G100. One for all the subject matter of the class and one for all this stuff he was going to give to us to prove to us that the Bible was pure, unadulterated garbage. Now we spent a couple of weeks discussing all the different techniques that scientists use to determine the age of the earth, to determine the age of life on the earth, to determine the age of man on the earth. We got to the end of that discussion and he pulled out the Bible and he said, Now, <laughs> we all know the Bible says the earth was created on October the 23rd at 9 o'clock in the morning, 4004 B.C. And everybody had a good laugh. The guy next to me was rolling in the aisle. But I had a hand up. I said, hey, Wait a minute, I, I want to write that down. Where is that? He said, Genesis 53, verse 6. Well, he made a mistake. I had a Bible with me. So I opened it up, Genesis 49, Genesis 50, one. I said, hey, this thing's only got 50 chapters. Well, he sputtered and he stewed. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll bring it to class tomorrow, to tomorrow. I got to class five minutes early. I opened the door, I looked in, and I met his eyes, and I could tell by the look on his face. I was not the number one person he wanted to see. I said, did you find that passage on the age of the earth? He said, you know, I read that thing three times. I can't find it. Well, of course he can't find it. The Bible's not a clock. That's not why we've been given that information. He gave us a homework assignment. We had to calculate how big Noah's ark would have had to have been to have held two of each of the 26 million different animals that have lived on this planet. You work that out, it turns out to be about the size of the state of Indiana, where I live. But you know, I said to him, you know, the only place to find the word kind defined in the Bible is over here in 1 Corinthians 15, 39. It says there are four kinds of flesh, the flesh of fish, the flesh of birds, the flesh of beasts, the flesh of man. I says, looks to me like I could do that with a rowboat. And he kicked me out of class. <laughs> now, I wasn't trying to shoot him down. 
I was an ignorant college junior on his side. I just wanted something I could stand on and say, look, here is an obvious stupid mistake that proves the Bible was written by ignorant men living in an ignorant age. Well, I went back and apologized and promised shut up. <laughs> and he was very tolerant, really. He let me back in class. From February the 13th, Wednesday morning, I went in to take my final examination in G100. I had all my army fatigues. I had my pockets full of dimes. I took the final examination. I handed the man the paper. And as I handed him the paper, I said, you know, I said, you told us first day of class that you were going to prove to us that the Bible's a bunch of garbage. And I agree with you. I know it's true. But I'm an atheist, but, but I just haven't been able to get much out of this class on that. Would, would you let me take all the stuff you've accumulated over the years over in the library and, and copy it off? And I showed him all the dimes I had in my pocket to run the copy machine. And I really expected this guy to go back in his office and come out carrying a crate of material. But instead, he jerked my paper away from me. He pushed me out the door of the classroom, and as he closed the door behind me, he said, I guess if you really study it, there aren't any contradictions. I couldn't believe it. Here I was, an ignorant college junior on his side. And he was telling me he could not show me one single academic contradiction between the facts we had learned in that class and what the Bible really had to say. You know, I didn't like people that were closed-minded. I didn't like people that were intellectually dishonest. I didn't like people that could not look at good, solid data and make reasonable logical deductions from that data. I didn't like people that could not break free of their parent thinking and do their own thinking. But I finally realized that's exactly what I had been doing. I was everything I hated. You know, one of the greatest scientists that ever lived was a man by the name of Lord Kelvin, great British thermamicist. Lord Kelvin said one time, if you study science deeply enough and long enough, it will eventually force you to believe in God. I believe that's exactly right. I believe that's what happened to me. I really question a person can be a well-educated, open-minded, thinking person, look fairly at the evidence at all of the parameters that are surrounding it, and still maintain a position of atheism. I know I couldn't. Now, I don't remember a whole lot more of that, that day. I remember going back to my room and feeling, feeling pretty miserable. <laughs> I remember writing a resignation letter to the American Atheist Association. About 5.30, my roommate came in, and he said, John, are you ready to go eat? And I said, no, I don't think I am. And he, he said, are you sick? And I said, yeah, I really am. I'm sick of me. I'm sick of being selfish. I'm sick of being arrogant. I'm sick of being egotistical. I'm sick of using people. I'm sick of tearing people's lives apart. I followed him halfway down to the cafeteria telling him I was sick of that. And he said, no, at the, at the time, I didn't understand that. But I do now. That's what the word repentance means. To get sick of a selfish, 
egotistical, arrogant, meaningless, directionless life and to turn to God's way, to a life that has purpose and meaning and value and direction. About 6.30, I started walking towards that church building on the corner of 4th and Lincoln Street. I had to do something. And when the invitation of Jesus Christ was extended that evening, I started down the aisle on the rubberiest pair of legs you've ever seen. And I stood before a group of people that I had ridiculed and slandered and abused and said, look, look, I'm sorry. I know now there's a God. I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And I want to serve Him all the days of my life. You know, Jesus said, Whosoever confesseth me before men, him will I confess before my Father who art in heaven. Did you hear Him say anything about just doing that once? As long as there's breath in this body, I want people to know where I'm coming from. And then to be able to bury, be buried in the waters of baptism. To be able to, to wash away my sins. To be able to come forth a new creature. That's the most incredible thing I can imagine. <laughs> you want to know how far from God I was that evening? As I came down the aisle, Raymond Munsey was backing up just as fast as I was coming down. And there was a, there was a baptistry behind him that he almost fell into. He had to sit down on the edge of it to avoid falling into it. I don't think he thought I could be changed. Ray passed away not too many years ago, and, and his widow, Eloise, came across some of his writings, and I've heard this from several other people. <laughs> he said when he saw me coming down the aisle, all he could think of was, oh, no, what is Clayton going to do this time? I don't think he thought I could be changed. Even the people that were close to me did not believe I could be changed. I called this girl that I'd been dating for several years at that point. I said, Phyllis, guess what? I've become a Christian. And she said, John, if you don't quit lying to me, I'm going to quit dating you. She has a slightly different version of that, but that's the way I remember it. And she can't deny I had to send a preacher's wife out there to convince her that I'd become a Christian. I had been so far from God that even those who were close to me did not believe that I could ever be changed. Now, this isn't really the end of the story. This is just the beginning. I had a ton of things to overcome. I mean, I couldn't talk without swearing. Not only because of my life as an atheist and the fact that I, I somehow had this macho urge to do that, but... But I had been an athlete, I had been in the military, and I had an incredible vocabulary. And you couldn't go to the preacher's house and say, pass the blankety blank, 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 blank potatoes. And I had tried to whip that, just couldn't whip it, because I, it created social problems for me. But you know something? I found, as a Christian, with God's help and with the support of my brothers and sisters in Christ, I was able to whip that problem. It always bugs me when somebody says, well, I'm going to become a Christian as soon as I get thus and so straightened out of my life. No, 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 no. You got it wrong. On your own, you won't make it. But with God's help, you can whip anything. Living a moral life was a new experience for me. And that was a change that didn't come easy. But what I found was that there was always help. A passage in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13 that says that there is no temptation but taking you, but such as is common to man. For God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape 
Boy, I saw that in spades. Because when the old temptations, drugs, booze, you name it, when those old temptations came up, when as a Christian I stopped and looked for the way out, I always saw the way out. I can't tell you I always took the way out, but I saw it. And as I grew up as a Christian, I found myself being able to live morally so radically different than what I lived in the past. I think it's difficult for a person who has been raised in an atheistic culture, family, or society to really understand the strength that you have to live in a moral way that comes from being a Christian. And my quiet challenge to you would be, what are you religiously? Are you really a Christian? Are you really an atheist? Now, you say, well, there's got to be more options than that. I don't think so. You know, Jesus said things like, he that is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Look at Matthew 12 and verse 30. Look at Luke 11, verse 23, and see what you think he means. I think he means what he says. He doesn't talk about being a Christian on Sunday morning and something else the rest of the week. He says you're either a plus or you're a minus. Your life is either constructive, bringing peace and love and understanding into this world with all of its trouble and sorrows and difficulties, or you're part of the problem. And you know something? I can understand why a person would be an atheist. I mean that. I've been an atheist a good part of my life. And I believed at that time, and I still believe that my life as an atheist was logical and reasonable and consistent with what I understood to be true. And for the past several years, I've done my dead-level best to live what I understand to be the Christian way of life. And once again, within the limits of a fumbling, stumbling, bumbling, feeble, pathetic, ridiculous, inadequate human being, I believe my life is reasonable and logical and consistent with what I understand to be true. But I'll never understand, and if you understand it, I wish you'd explain it to me. How a man or a woman can say, oh, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I understand that the Bible is God's word, and then not do everything and anything within their power to make sure that their life conforms to what that God teaches. Now, that's not reasonable. That's not logical. You don't want to live your life in that kind of inconsistency. But is that, in all honesty, where you stand? It's my prayer and my plea that, that perhaps as a result of other things that have happened in your life or perhaps some of the things we've tried to share with you, that you want to make your life a positive, constructive effort for the Lord. You can contact us if you need help. We can put you in contact with others who can help you. We do want to serve you. And if your life is not consistent with the teachings that God has given, I would urge you do that not only because of the question of eternity, but also because it will bring tremendous joy and happiness and fulfillment and direction into your life and into the lives of those you love. Does God Exist is an educational program which attempts to provide evidence that man can logically believe in God and that the Christian system presented in the New Testament is the best option for successful living. We offer materials free and on loan. Contact us by mail, fax, or email.
quite a story, huh? Um, you know, I I grew up um, in a very conservative family and, and uh, in conservative churches, and um, one of the things that were was almost shunned was this notion of, of uh, witnessing, testifying, and it was an aversion to um, some of the denominations that um, sometimes in place of teaching from the Bible, uh, and many, and maybe many times, uh, they would conclude a service, a worship service with someone coming up and telling their, uh, life story and their conversion to, uh, to Christianity. And, and so, yes, if, if that's what you're relying on, uh, to convince you that, uh, Christianity is worth pursuing, uh, then it might not necessarily be uh, the best place to go because people can testify about a lot of things and be very convincing. And those things are are not things that we should be engaging in. So people's opinions, people's life experiences um, are valuable only up to a certain point. Um, but Mr. Clayton's life, John Clayton's life, uh, as we said back in the introduction, um, was one where he was so totally extreme and so totally committed to uh, his beliefs about <clears throat> atheism and um, how foolish and full of mistakes and contradictions and, and errors the Bible was. Um, testified to how, how steep he was and how deeply involved he was in that anti-Christ, anti-Bible. Uh, anti-Christianity mindset. Um, and so that kind of conversion, that kind of depth that he was in when he finally walked down that aisle of that church and responded to the invitation um, was such a dramatic and total shift. It had to shake him to his core. Um, there are those of us where you were, you were raised in the church. I was raised in the church. Um, it was kind of an understood thing that at some point I would uh, go forward and, and uh, submit to baptism. Um, I wasn't, uh, I hadn't had the life that John Clayton had had. I was only 13 years old at the time. I was aware of my sins um, and I wanted to get rid of them and I wanted to follow Christ. But that earth shattering uh, psychological experience was something that uh, that I never underwent, and um, I kind of uh, envy those people to a certain degree because they had so much over here that they found did not give them happiness, did not give them peace, did not give them uh, the joy uh, that the Bible talks about. And his his comments right there at the end about about turning from that and turning toward something that that is an answer. It is the answer, but it is an answer for a number of things that we have uh, going on in our life. He contrasts uh, his life of seeking pleasure and self uh, self gratification 
prior to Christianity and uh, finding out that that's not where happiness was. Satisfying self is not where true happiness is. The uh, the scriptures talk about uh, happiness, but they talk about happiness as being that which we derive from external circumstances, things that uh, uh, operate on us to make us happy, to uh, change our attitude, to uh, to give us pleasure uh, of sorts. But that is temporary. That is not enduring. And it's not the joy that the Bible talks about, the scriptures talk about, that our belief and our trust uh, in God can can provide for us. Do you want to offer anything? Just interrupt me anytime because yeah. I'm just going to make some points and yeah. then um then finish up here um he talks about in that contrast a life without meaning versus a life of christianity and he and he said either at the beginning of this one or the beginning of the last one when the first part of this he said i was out to use people as much as i could i was out to get as much out of life uh, that i could and most of it was at the expense of others he found that that was not satisfying. And and when he realized what he was doing, um, that all that he had built up in that direction came crashing, crashing down on him. Uh, Christianity gives us a reason to live. Someone once said, well, what if you find out uh, the Bible is, is all myth? one day what what if we are able to determine that it that it was myth what would that do to your faith and i said well something to the effect that um at least i've lived a good life a good moral life that people even people who don't believe in the bible believe that there is some moral standard that allows us to get along with those around us and and be satisfied with our with ourselves to the point where uh, it can can influence our happiness in this life. So so even if that ultimate reward is not there, even if Jesus never lived or any of the things that they talk about here in the Bible occurred, uh, I would still have that, um, and that would not change anything. I firmly believe, let me assert, <laughs> that everything in the Bible uh, happened that says happened and that uh, we can rely on it 100% for its truth and its accuracy. Was it Bertrand Russell? Some famous philosopher was saying, you know, if uh, if I'm right and the gospel's true, the Bible's right, everything God promised will come true, then I win. If you're right and none of it's true, and when we die, we just go into into annihilationism. I still win, but if I'm right and you're wrong, you lose big time. Yeah, and that is that is when you're talking with someone who is not a Christian. That that is a uh, an eye opening argument. Uh, a lot of people never consider looking at it that way. <laughs> it's a logical way of looking at it. With this, I have everything to gain and and nothing to lose. Uh, without it, um, it's a draw so to speak. Uh, I haven't lost anything having believed in it. Um, 
But if it is true, then you have everything to lose. And uh, that should should at least open your eyes to the fact that uh, it is possible. And that gets us started. You know, Solomon um, in Ecclesiastes, we were just talking about this uh, uh, in in his book. uh, Ecclesiastes uh, talked about all that he was able to experience in this life. And if anybody had the opportunity to uh, experience joy, uh, not the joy we were talking about a while ago, but the pleasures of this life, it was an individual who had as much as he had. We, You can go through and see how much he had and, and the riches he had and the, the slaves and the you know, wives and the concubines and you know, all, all that he had. And and Solomon, as we know, was given the blessing of uh, wisdom when he was asked what he wanted. And uh, the conclusion that he comes to after experiencing all he can, he must not have used a whole lot of wisdom during some of those things. But the conclusion of all of that is that none of this matters. It is vain. Vanity of vanities, all of that is vain. And he says the conclusion is to fear God, keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man, some say, some versions say, some say duty was added. It is the whole of man. It is our only responsibility. It is all we have in this life to operate as a foundation for whatever we do with the rest of our time. Fear God and, and keep his commandments. Um, he talked about or mentioned this idea of, of being neither hot uh, nor cold. Um, the apathetic Christian, that individual who uh, professes to be a believer, um, yet does as little as possible to provide evidence. And it goes back to the old question, and I'm sure you have heard this uh, in, a, in a lesson. If you were on trial, if you were on trial, if, if it looks like it may be heading that way one of these days here in these United States, if you were on trial and you had been charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Now that is that is a that is a uh, kind of a little twist of 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 how you, we look at that normally, but it's true. What evidence is there in your life that you are a Christian? Well, I go to church once a week. I sit in the pew and I sing. I try to listen to the sermon. Sometimes my mind gets distracted. That's good. And I don't know that going to worship seven times a week or 14 times a week, twice a day, would be uh, the magic bullet. There's more to being a Christian than simply the times that we worship um, in public together. Um, James. One twenty-two talks about the hearer of the word, yet 
it's a forgetful hearer. He looks into the word of God as if he, he would look into a mirror to get a look at himself. And we can see ourselves one direction or another as we look into God's word, how we measure up to God's word. And we might even for the moment feel, hmm, I need to do better. This tells me that I need to do this and I'm not doing that. So I'm going to do better. But then James says, as soon as you turn and walk away from the mirror, you forget what you look like. Have you ever done that? Hmm. Have you ever fixed your hair or shaved or put on your makeup? Uh, let's hope we're talking about you ladies. Um, and you thought everything was fine and you took a walk away and then you came back and looked one more time. Just check that one more time. Um, we forget. We are looking at something, but not the whole picture. And so we walk away from the mirror. And in this case, the mirror is God's word. And we forget what kind of person we just said we were going to be. That can't please God. If we don't live our lives as a Christian, uh, that can't please God. He mentioned, well, let me let me look uh, one, one, one passage first before we go uh, to Matthew. Studying the book of Revelation is a challenge. Uh, I saw, I was just going through some stuff the other day, and there were there are four major ways to look at, or at least this person was saying, there are four major ways to look at the interpretation of the book of Revelation. I don't know if that's true. I've heard at least at least two. Um, but uh, Revelation is a challenge. Doesn't mean we shouldn't study it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't glean from it what we can. I guarantee you, we can glean something from the first two and uh, second and third chapters. There, we have John writing what Christ has told him to write to the churches in Asia. There are seven churches in Asia. I'm not going to try to name them off the top of my head, but but each of the churches he writes a, a, a little paragraph to, and says, "Here's what I know about you." Here's where you stand. Here's what you need to do. And the very last one he talks to um, that is recorded for us is in, in the third chapter of Revelation. And it's the uh, church at Laodicea. And it says, and the angel of church at Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and the true witness. Those are capital letters. Uh, at, at the beginning of creation of God, Christ says this. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. He's talking to a congregation here, talking to a group of people. But he could be talking to a person as well. A congregation is simply a collection of people. These are just a bunch of people like this. You are neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold. Or hot. Pick one. So because you are lukewarm. Somewhere in the middle. Another word for that is tepid. Uh, and that, that may even convey a, a more of a negative note there. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't know about you. I like my coffee hot. I don't like cold coffee. I don't even like lukewarm coffee. In the morning when I drink my coffee and I'm reading my iPad and reading the news and watching TV and I forget to take a sip for a while and my uh, coffee gets even in the lukewarm vein, it's distasteful to me. Coffee, I believe, at least for me, should be drunk hot. This is what he's saying here. I don't like lukewarm. I like hot. I don't like cold, but I really don't like middle. Make up your mind. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and you know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Then he says, I stand at the door and knock the way he says um, at the end of the, uh, the others. He says, if you have ears, hear, listen, respond. Don't be like James talks about, that individual who hears the word of God but doesn't do it. And one, other, uh, one other passage I wanted to talk about, he talked about this. Uh, confessing me before men. Everyone, this is Matthew, the 10th chapter, and I think it's also in Luke, what did we say? 12. Luke 12. It says, everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. And then I remember he stuck up uh, his little finger and he said, is that just one time? Yes, to become a Christian, we make that good confession that the eunuch made on the road uh, with Philip um, when he baptized him. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's good. We have to. Confession is made with the mouth unto salvation. Romans 10, mm -hmm. 17, I believe. Um, so that's good. But guess who he's talking to here? And guess what they're about ready to do? Um, he is telling them what the cost of discipleship is. And he says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts, scourge you in their synagogues, in synagogues, beat you, whip you. And you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony for them. You will be hated by all on account of my name, but is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of the cities until uh, Israel until the Son of Man comes. And do not fear, a few verses down, those who kill the body. They're sheep in the midst of wolves. They will be persecuted. They will be beaten. They will be thrown into jail. And now he says, don't fear them. They can only kill the body. 
And that seems a rather obtuse statement to begin with. I'm going to lose my life, possibly, for this. Jesus says, if, that what it, if that's what it takes, if that is what happens to you defending the gospel, then you have to sacrifice your life. Because you don't need to fear those people who can destroy only the body and not the soul. But fear him, capital H, who is able to destroy both body and soul in, in hell. Two verses later. So. So is not there, but this is his point. Everyone who confesses, uh, therefore, whoever, everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my father in heaven. He goes on to say, don't think that I came to uh, bring peace on this earth. I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to set a man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus forces people into decisions. And you are going to be on one side or another. Lukewarm is not an option. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Talk about hard teachings. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And that's what all of this is talking about. Being a Christian. Standing up for God. Confessing him more than just that one time. Living the life of of a Christian so that others know that you are a Christian. He who has found his life, this life, shall lose it, his eternal life. And he who has lost this life for my sake shall find eternal life. That sounds like a uh, um, called paradox. You know, he shall lose his life and gain it and lose it and get it and all that. I paraphrased it for you and said, if we place too much emphasis on this life, we will lose the next life. It's as simple as that. And he who receives you back to these individuals receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. So, our point is, live the life of a Christian. Whatever you came from, whether it was being raised in the church or um, something else or nothing, render obedience and do the things that will assure your salvation. And as Jesus just told us, part of that is standing up for him, knowing his word. So that when you have conversations with people who challenge you about what you believe, you will have that answer to respond to them. And that's all I have to say. Uh, Next week, uh, we will enter into the last four 
of those uh, topics that we have, and it's called the Rational God. Oh, he's got a two, another one, another two part. The Rational God. The Rational God. Well, what would that be? Well, let's come back next week and find out. Thank you all. See you guys. <laughs>